0: to be with you this morning. Um, It's uh, anytime we can gather together, especially in this day and age, we should give praise and thanks for it. So uh, glad to be together. If you guys sit someplace different, that's fine. But you know, like church and most churches, it's like you, I used to when I was a kid. Okay, confession time. When I was a kid, because I was so ornery, because I was an ornery kid, just ask my, my mom. I know that's hard to believe, right? Um, when I was a kid, I used to sit in people's normal spots in the church I went to, so I would purposely, I would be there early with my dad, and I would purposely go sit and right where I knew people sat, like the older ladies or men in the church, and I would just sit there and wait until they came and see what they would do, and it was, they just, they'd look at me and be like, shock Matt, you know, it was either, it was Matthew, it was always Matthew, and then they'd either pick me up and give me a hug or throw me out of the way, either way, but... Um, and then I'd have to go sit by dad anyway because he didn't want me too far away and causing problems in church. So, uh, anyway, that so that's just a little confession time, little tidbit from my my past. We are in our series in the book of Romans. I would encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, to turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter uh, into chapter three, going through chapter four. Our series is called "Not Ashamed of Good News," not ashamed of good news. And and it may seem foreign to you, but we kind of live in a world right now that. It's almost you're ashamed of sharing good things, right? Or if good things are shared, you wonder, is that really good or are they trying to cover something up, right? They're not talking about their real life. They're just putting all this good out there because really deep down inside they're struggling and they don't want to share the real news, so they're covering it up. And we need some true good news right now in our culture. Um, But again, how do we know what's good? What do we do when news doesn't seem good and it brings fear, it brings guilt, it brings shame? We know it's half truths. Well, Paul writes this book because God wants him to write it to a culture, like I've said week after week, the Roman culture that was very similar to our culture. Very similar. And God wants us to be able to declare, he wants people that believe in him to be able to declare that they are not ashamed of the news of Scripture. That what God says is good, what God says is true, we're not ashamed of declaring. We're not ashamed of saying that that's what God says. And we live in a culture, to be honest with you, a Christian culture, where we're constantly trying to, like, make excuses for the truth of God, right? We're trying to, I don't want to say that. I've got to be careful how I say that. And, yes, we can say things pridefully and rudely and meanly, but, but we're coming to a place where we just won't even share what's true anymore. I mean, this morning, as I was cleaning up this morning, I have great theological times when I clean on Sunday morning. It gets my heart ready Uh, to be able to preach and think. And I was just thinking about the book of Leviticus and how the book of Leviticus kind of gives us a framework for how to take care of pandemics when you look at how people with skin diseases or leprosy were treated. That they were supposed to separate themselves. The community was supposed to figure out how to care for them as they were separated. There was a priest, there was an authority involved that would decide if they were clean or unclean. And and, and, and that's how it was supposed to work. And in the New Testament, what we've done is we've said, well, we throw all that off because we're under grace. And we say, well, it doesn't matter anymore. Well, that's not wise. We know it's not wise just to throw the good law out. But in the Old Testament, they took that news. And, and what they did was they used it to get rid of all the lepers. So just get rid of them, not care about them, not think about them. And so today we have this pride of people that say there isn't a pandemic. It's all fake. Nobody's dying. It's a big joke. So I'm not going to do anything to help anybody. I'm just gonna, it's me and mine, right? Me and my life, my rights. And then you've got the other side that's so scared of everything that they think they're lepers and they're not, and so they're not taking care of anybody. They're just looking out for their own. And, and the Bible thousands of years ago gave us the plan for what it looks like to, to care for people well and how to protect one another, and we've, we don't even read it. you probably never even read the laws about lepers and the laws about cleanliness and what God says to do. Why? Because... Well, that's hard news. That doesn't seem very good. That seems real judgmental and harsh, and I, I don't understand it, so I just, I'm just going to ignore it, and that's what we do, and so I want us to look at this morning probably one of my favorite parts of the book of Romans, and this is, for me, this message is, I, I love this, this thing that Paul gets to, and it's this. It's not ashamed of faith, not ashamed of faith. Now now we're going to look in a minute, faith isn't like this, what we say faith is, where I just say, well I just trust and there's no proof, there's no evidence, I just kind of believe and, you know, I have faith in my faith. That's not faith, that's stupid. (laughs) Faith in your faith is not wise, don't do that, right? Like I have faith I'm going to jump off this building and gravity isn't going to work and I'm going to have faith in my faith all the way down until I hit the ground. Like that's not wise, okay? And so, The question, though, and this is a messy conversation for Christians, is, you know, what is faith? What does truly faith mean? And, And Paul starts out in his book with the basis of God's love. We sang about that this morning. If you remember the first week, we talked about the Lord Jesus Christ, that the basis for all of human existence, the basis for the world around us, is a God, a Lord, a Master, who is Yahweh, who saves, who is the Messiah. That's what jesus's name means he's the yahweh of the old testament who is the messiah he lays all that out then he says now that i've given you that good news now i need to talk to you about wrath and we looked at that week too and then he says because of this wrath that's coming you're probably asking the question "Uh uh-oh i'm not right before god i deserve wrath now what do i do faith week four we're in faith like the faith that we place in him And so Romans 1 is the theme of this book. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power. First, uh, to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. In other words, the message was given to someone first who had to give it to someone else. That's our responsibility. If you call yourself a Christian, you've been given the message of the good news and you have to share that good news with someone else. You might not like that plan. That's how God did it. That's how God decided he was going to do things. So that's the plan. And then he goes on and he says, for in it, it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, it was faith back then, it's faith now, it'll be faith in him forever. From faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So last week we looked at what it meant to be righteous. Go back and listen to that podcast. If you didn't, and what it really looks like to be a righteous person, that it's not dependent on us. We'll talk about that again this morning. But then he says, if you understand last week's message, then you will live by faith. If you understand what Paul was writing last week in chapter 3, into 2 and 3, then then you're going to live by faith. And as he wraps up, we'll see in a minute, that's not necessarily real easy to do. So we drop in, Romans chapter 3, the very end. We kind of touched on this last week it says this but now apart from the law the law is all the old testament okay it's it's the first five books in particular but it's it's god's rules his statutes his ordinances his decrees that declare who he is and his character his love his justice his mercy declares what the world is about and all these concepts that we talk about but we don't have definitions for Right? We say we want justice, but we don't have a definition of justice because we don't find it in Scripture. We say we want to be loved, but we don't go by God's definition of love. And he goes on and he says, but now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed. In other words, everybody thought that all these laws was what made me right, and God has Paul right? No. We know that that's not ever been the case. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. It's never been the case that you could do all the stuff and be right before God. Ever, never, ever. (laughs) And he says, attested by the law and the prophets, that is God's righteousness through faith in Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus' name means. In other words, the whole Testament, all the law, all the prophets was there to attest to the coming Messiah who is the god of the old testament in human flesh who paid the price on the cross for us was resurrected to prove that everything he said for all of human history was true that's the message of our book and then he goes on and he says through faith in Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction in other words it's for everyone anyone who wants to anyone who chooses to believe what's true by faith you get the opportunity to have this incredible relationship with the God of the universe and you get the opportunity to be given these words and these precious promises that the world longs for. And then in verse 23 he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, there can't be another way to be saved because every one of us is a sinner. And if there is another way to be saved, then then God sending his son to die and be the Messiah was just cruel and rude. I mean, if there was another way to save your kid and you were like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. I'll just let him die. (laughs) What would your wife or husband or your other kids or people think of you? Like, well, I could tell him to get out of the street. I see a semi coming, but I'll just wait and see what happens. Oh, that's too bad. Everyone would look and be like, that's awful. Jesus died because it was the plan from the beginning to show us that there is no other way for the sin of the world, the sin that we commit, the sin that happens, than death to ourselves, death to flesh. I mean, that's what we won't do in this pandemic, right? We won't die to ourselves. I refuse to give up my rights. I refuse to die to myself. And God is, now, does that mean what we're doing is all right? No, I think most of what we're doing, we're clueless. I'm not saying we're right. I'm just saying, what's the heart attitude in the life you live right now? Is the life you live right now looking for opportunities to to share the good news that you're not ashamed of? Or is it just, I'm going to quietly wait until kind of all this dies down, and and then we'll do ministry, we'll do church again, we'll, we'll try to reach out to people, we'll... No, you've got to go through the mess of it. And he goes on and he says this, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in the Messiah who is Yahweh saves, Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood. to to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus, who has faith in Yahweh who saves. That's the Yahweh of the Old Testament who saved his people in the Old Testament. Now he's saving people through his son and someday Jesus is gonna come back and save us all. It's the same message, it hasn't changed. And so he lays this out, and man, this should encourage us. It's a free gift of grace through the redemption that we can't provide for ourselves, that I can't can't redeem someone else. All I can do is point them to who can. There's something freeing about that, and he says... I love this. He goes, in his restraint, he passed over. That was the blood on the doorpost. Do you know what happens when we shed blood? You know what that means when you're bleeding? What does it mean when you're bleeding profusely? I mean, enough blood to like pour over something or put on a doorpost. What does that mean for your life? You're dying. First rule of first aid is, is what? First rule of first aid, stop the bleeding. First rule, tr- stop the bleeding. Because in the blood is the life of, that keeps them going. The, the, there's the oxygen, there's the carbon dioxide, there's the, there's the nutrients are in the blood, and so if the blood bleeds out, they're dead. you got to stop the bleeding. First thing on the battlefield. Interesting, God's been saying that for 6,000 years, that the power is in the blood, that the blood carries everything, and we really didn't know about it till, I don't know, last hundred years. We started figuring out, like, bacteria and germs and microbes and cells. and God's been saying it for eternity that blood is important and the symbol of blood is everything. Oh, and by the way, someday you're going to die and to embalm your body, they're going to drain every bit of blood out of you. Like, we look at this and go, ooh, blood. It's like, no, it's just, it's just fact. It's just the truth that we have to believe by faith that life is in the blood. You know what's amazing to me is this morning I walked in knowing I was going to preach this message and, and Ben has a shirt on. It's a give blood shirt. <laughs> and he was up here setting up and I just laughed. I'm like, we got people wearing t-shirts, every, please come give blood. No, I don't need to. Blood's not important. It's not important to you until you show up at the hospital and need it. It's the same with Jesus. Someday you're gonna stand before God and if you're not covered by his blood, if the blood hasn't been poured on you and poured into you, you're in trouble. Just like if you show up at the hospital. And so God is revealing these truths that's good news through everything in the world. He's trying to get us to see through all the things in our world that what I say is true. I'm trying to get you to see me. I'm trying to get you to see the purpose and dying on a cross and shedding blood. I want you to see that all of this makes sense. I'm not hiding from you. I'm trying to like be open and show you. And that's what he says. And God showed us his grace. Now he goes on. He says in Romans 4.1, what can we say then? Or what then can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? So pause for a minute. Paul's writing this letter to Romans. Everybody traces their lineage back to Abraham. Even the Jews and the Greek believers at this time would have traced back and said, God made a covenant with Abraham. And the covenant God made with Abraham was, I am going to make you many descendants. I am going to bring the the promised Messiah. The hope of the world, Abraham, is going to be in you. I've said this before. You recognize that, that the majority of the world's population believes in Abraham. God is still fulfilling his promise to Abraham today. All Christians, Jews, and Muslims believe in the promise of Abraham. Coincidence? I don't think so. You see, God is still fulfilling the promise that he gave and said to Abraham, would someone trust Jesus? The Bible says that we've been grafted into the old covenant and the new covenant. We've been grafted into Abraham, that, that when I trust Christ and the blood covers me, that That I'm now a blood brother. I'm connected, I'm grafted in. That That's a credit to Abraham for his... Let's look. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about. But not before God. In other words, if if Abraham did all he did because he said, yeah, one day I'm going to have like the world in my fingertips. Then he would brag and Abraham didn't. He said, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. It wasn't credited to him and and God said he's right because he does so many things well, he's right before me. That is not it at all. He said it was credited to Abraham for righteousness because Abraham believed. You see, it's it's about the heart. Why do you do what you do? Why do you believe in what you believe in? Why? Why? That's the question we have to ask deep down inside that we spend most of our days just trying to avoid. Because I don't want to look at my own heart. I don't want to go that deep. I just want to stay on the surface. Abraham went that deep. Abraham was like, I, I this life doesn't make sense. I know there's got to be a God. I got to cry out to him. Ah, oh, help. Like, that's Abraham. Look at what it says in Genesis. Genesis 15 is the story. That's the story that God has Paul quote in this Romans 4. And it says, Now, the word of the Lord came to him. That's Abraham. This one will not be your heir. Remember, Abraham said, I I believe that God's going to make many nations. Then Sarah got real old, and Abraham got real old. And then they had this slave they weren't supposed to probably have Hagar, who was his handmaiden. And Abraham and Sarah hatched a plan, and the plan was well, Sarah hatched it, and Abraham agreed. They had this plan, and the plan was we'll get Hagar pregnant, and he'll be the promised child. By the way, that's why Islam and Christianity and Judaism are still at war today. Because Islam says Ishmael was the firstborn, Ishmael's the promised, not Isaac, that Sarah miraculously had in her old age. You see, Abraham had a moment where he didn't trust God by faith yet we're reading about him now. We're reading about Abraham and saying he was this incredible man of faith and yet the world's biggest war that's still happening around us was a result of Abraham's sin and God still loves Abraham and has still given him grace and there's still hope. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. It doesn't matter how bad the consequences will be for eternity for the stupid you did. Doesn't it? The question is, what do you do with it? Do you trust God by faith with it and say, yeah, I messed up and and I trust you? And that's what it says Abraham did. It goes on. It says, he took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars, Abraham, if you're able to count them. He said to him, your offspring will be like that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord and he was credited to him for righteousness in Genesis, it said. He also said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. In other words, I saved you. I delivered you. Sound familiar? Yahweh saves. Jesus' name means Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves, the deliverer. Abraham placed his faith in Yahweh who would save him. He didn't understand all that meant. He didn't understand that what Jesus was going to do. He didn't understand the full picture, but you want to know how much faith Abraham had? He was willing to take the promised son Isaac, put him on an altar, raise a knife, Hebrews says, to kill him. And God said, stop, that was just a test to see if you would give your son because someday I'm going to give mine so your son doesn't need to die for your sin and for the sins of the world because mine will. That's Abraham. That's why Paul's talking about him when he talks about faith. Man, if you need a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, Abraham. He lied twice, told people Sarah was his sister. I don't know about you women, but you'd be a little upset if you found out your wife, you know, husband was at work telling people she's just my sister. Brother, excuse me? I'm just your sister, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, we're Christians, so technically we're brother and sister in Christ, right? Like, It's true, it's it's not a lie. And yet God still used idiots in the Bible like us. And he gave grace to Jacob and Abraham and David. Why? Because he's trying to show us what the good news is. That it's placing our faith in a God who says, you can't be right without me, but once you know me, we're going to begin the process of making you right. And, And it's a great process. Romans 4, 4, it says, Now to the one who works, pay is not considered a gift, but is something owed. In other words, if you have an idea of God that says, I do this much and then God will give me what I want. He'll Not God gave me a promise and I'm trusting in that promise. See, God didn't make a deal with Abraham. God gave Abraham a promise. I'm going to make your descendants numerous. That's what I'm going to do. He did it. And you see, that, that's, that's what God offers to us. I, I offer you my son, and, and he says, it's not about a pay, it's not a, a deal. See, all other religions on the face of the planet, it's a business deal. It's I work and I get. I work and I get. And let me tell you, there is misery in that kind of relationship in our world. It's miserable to, 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 to be there. Does our world work that way? Yeah, it, 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 it works that way to show us the misery we're in so that we cry out for the grace that exists in God. And he says, verse five, but to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. In other words, when you say, I'm not right before you, God, I don't even know, I can't be right, I, I just need... I need you, I need your power, I need you to help me, I need you, I got nothing. God's like, thank you, that's, that's, that's how I work, (laughs) I I can use that, because that means you're dying to your own will, which means I can fill you by the power of the Holy Spirit with my will, not your will be done, but now my will be done. You see, the serpent in Genesis deceived Adam and Eve and told them to do a work, to eat the fruit, to get something for themselves on their terms. The serpent said, if you do this, you can get this. And it was the first time Adam and Eve had stepped out of the grace of God. Before it was God said, everything's yours. It's all yours. Do what you want. This is grace. Grace. And God gave them one test. He said, don't eat from this tree. And the serpent said, well, the reason God gave you that test, the reason God gave you the law is because he's holding out on you. And so you need to make a deal with God. And if you eat the fruit and you become your own God, well, now you're in a position to make deals with God. You can tell God what to do. You can do business with God. and You don't have to listen to what he says and his promises and that he's the the authority. That's the original sin, and we're still falling for it today, especially Christians, especially the false teachers, which we'll see in a minute, that are out there, that constantly tell people, you just give this much. If you do this, if you do that, then God's going to do this for you. What if he doesn't? What if you do everything perfectly and someone kills you because you preach the gospel? Oh, by the way, that's the message of most of the New Testament. We don't place faith... In our faith, or in ourselves, or in our ability to have faith. We place faith in him and his ability and who he is, period. He goes on, he says this in Romans 4 Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man God credits righteous. Credits righteousness to apart from works. How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. There's that covering again. How joyful is the man the Lord will never charge with sin. You should wake up every morning with that kind of joy. God is not gonna charge me today. Not because I'm gonna do everything right today, but because he's with me. He loves me. He's given me his son, and he's put the Holy Spirit in my heart as a down payment and a seal, and, and I got joy today. Even in the midst of whatever suffering I'm going through, I can have joy today because I know that my sin will not be charged against me. Others might charge my sin against me, but he won't, and then our reaction from that should be to go out and tell people that and live differently because we don't want to have other people charging sin against us. We want them to put their hope in him. And so we want to show we hope in him, we believe in him, so we obey his law, we look at his decrees, we want to know his heart, and that's what we tell people. Here's what it says, that psalm is Psalm 32. I would encourage you, if you've got time this week, to read Psalm 32. It's one of the most beautiful psalms. And this is how it starts out, what we just read. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. When David wrote this, he didn't understand the full picture of what the Jesus, the Messiah would come to do. He's writing this Psalm by faith. I don't know how God's gonna forgive my sin. I know all the sacrifices of lambs and goats don't forgive my sin. I don't understand how God's gonna do this, but I'm gonna trust him that somehow when I meet him, he will pay for my sin. He will save me. See, David and Abraham looked forward to what Jesus would do. We look back to what he did and all of faith to faith, human history, God's believers look forward to the day when God comes again and it's all finished. We all have the same faith. It hasn't changed. He goes on he says, how joyful is the man who does not, the Lord does not charge with sin and in whose spirit, whose spirit is no deceit in other words yes God doesn't charge you with sin which then means you're like I don't want to charge anybody else with sin I don't want to sin against anyone else I don't want sin to be to define my life I want rid of it because I want to be full of him and his spirit so no longer are we trying to get rid of sin to get in good with God or to get in good with people we're trying to get rid of sin because we just want people to see how great God is He goes on and he says this. It is in this blessing, is this blessing only for the circumcised then? In other words, the Old Testament taught you had to be circumcised on the eighth day, and that was the tradition that it showed that you were a part of the family of God. Today, there are churches that baptize infants the Catholic Church, there's Lutherans, the Presbyterians, they'll baptize infants as a sign that they're saved now because they got baptized. That's actually their teaching, just being honest that they're under the covenant, and it's questionable whether they're under the covenant until they get baptized as an infant. That's not our teaching, and it's not the biblical teaching, because look at what this says. Is the blessing only for the circumcised, the baptized, then? Because circumcision in the Old Testament, the New Testament is baptism is the symbol. Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. That's what Genesis says. That's what Paul quoted earlier. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. When God gave Abraham that promise, he had not been circumcised yet. He had not been baptized. So can someone be saved who hasn't been baptized? Yeah, absolutely. It's what scripture says. Now, you can ask the question, why aren't you being baptized? You are standing in pride? That's what I did. And God convicted me. I said, Matt, you're being prideful. And I said, oh, okay, well then I'll be baptized because I don't want to be prideful. That's literally how I got baptized. Because I just fell under the conviction of like, I don't want to live like telling God I don't have to do things that he says to do. So I just want to do it. He goes on, he says, and he received the sign of uncircumcision as a seal Of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that the righteousness may be credited to them also. In other words, God had Abraham believe and gave him all the promises, and then said, Now I'm gonna give you a symbol to remind future generations that they need to be humbled before me. There is nothing more humbling to a man than circumcision. Really humbling. There's nothing more humbling to a mother than to watch her infant be cut and bleed. Kind of genius that God says do circumcision. Baptism's kind of the same way in our culture. How many of you women want to look wet at church? Like you want to be drenched, wet, makeup running down your face, hair dripping, be like, yeah, I'm in. Same thing, it's just an outward symbol of my humility. I I, I humbly come and I say, God, just, I'm doing this and it doesn't make me any more righteous or any more clean, I just do it because you said to do it. So I'm gonna do it. Again, we don't have to be circumcised. We don't have to be baptized. The question is, why do you do what you do? What are you placing your faith in by doing it? Well, if I get baptized, then I'll really feel saved. No, you won't. You'll feel more miserable. I'm just telling you, if you don't feel saved, if you don't know that God is who he says he is, and his promise is for you, and there's joy in it, getting baptized isn't going to fix that. Should you be baptized? Absolutely. That's what Paul's saying. Then he goes on and he says this. And he became the father of the uncircumcised who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, the law of the Old Testament hadn't been written when Abraham was given the promise of salvation and the promise of a legacy. The law had not been written yet. Abraham wasn't trusting in the law. Abraham was trusting in the promise of God that he would save him. Abraham told his descendants to do the law. Why? Because we want to listen to God. And we should know what God has to say and understand it and discern when we're supposed to do it, not supposed to do it. We should understand the laws that we don't have to do anymore and the laws that are still important. and Why we do what we do and not do. That's what we should do as family members of God. Then he goes and he says, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law but through righteousness that comes by faith. Then he goes on, Paul says, in a moment. because Here's one of the things that God did to prove this. And it's called signs and wonders. If you look this up in the Old Testament, you'll see this quote a lot in the Old Testament. It says, signs and wonders with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. In other words, God said, have faith in me. And the way that he did that was that he's done all these signs and wonders. Remember, we read Romans 1, and Romans 1 said God's created the universe to declare his glory. The stars are a wonder. The sun coming up every day is a wonder. Where the earth is at on its orbit is a wonder. How it tilts on its axis is a wonder. Everything is a sign and a wonder of how miraculous and wise and unbelievably creative God is. Everything, Paul said. Okay, so he says it's all the signs, and then he did extra signs and wonders in the Old Testament, and he did it with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. In other words, he wasn't distant, like, do, 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 No, he, he like, he got engaged. Like, I want to I wanna be with you. I want to play on the ground with you. Not, yeah, I'll play with you. Go fetch, kid. You know, and your son runs across the room. He says, that's fun. Bring it back. Great. Go get it again. No, he actually put on a mitt, got down on the ground. Like, that's what he did. Because he cares about us, it says. John 14, or 448, Jesus said this. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, sorry, you will not believe. You will not believe. In other words, Jesus said, you guys keep looking for more signs and wonders and God has done enough. Stop looking for God to do more and see all that he's already done for you. Because see, when I look and say, God, you need to do more for me, what did I just do? I just moved from faith to works. God, you need to work for me. And when you work for me, then we got a deal. But until you work for me, no deal. That's not faith, folks. Does that mean we can't ask God... God, this is my desire, this is my heart. I don't know if it's your heart, but I'm coming and pouring my heart out to you. Read the Psalms. My goodness, the Psalms are that. The Psalms are like chapter after chapter, if God hears my heart, tell me if it's right or not. Like, that's the, like that's the Psalms. So yes, we can come before him. He's playing with us on the ground, and you know, you're wrestling with your son, and you know, he kicks you in the privates by accident. You're like, that's off limits. We're not, we're not doing that. It happens, that doesn't mean you stop playing and you're like, I'm done with you. No, you, you have the conversation, right? And then like for me, my son's rule was you can't tickle when you wrestle. It made him really mad. Like no tickling, we're wrestling, right? So when we wrestle together, what would I do? Well, when I got in a position where I wanted him to move the way I wanted him to move, I'd just tickle him and he'd get mad and move the way I wanted him to move and then I could grab him the way I wanted him to grab it. He's getting bigger now, I can't really, I think I'm going to get hurt if I wrestle him now, I'll just be honest. So, but again, Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Why? Has, has my heavenly father not done enough for you? Has he not given his word to you? What more does he need to do to get you to believe that I am who I say I am? Then he goes on in Mark 13, It says, For false messiahs, ah, I clicked it again, sorry. For false messiahs and prophets, False prophets will rise up and will perform signs and wonders to lead people astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I've told you everything in advance. In other words, God's saying, You don't need any more signs and wonders. And false teachers and false prophets say, God wants you to have all kinds of signs and wonders. God's going to come through for anything you ask. You just ask it by faith. That's a false teaching. It's a heresy. It, it's bad. That is not what the God says. That's not what Jesus says here. He says, they're going to be false messiahs and prophets, and they're going to come, and they're going to show signs and wonders. They're going to do crazy stuff to get people to say, well, that, look at his mansion. He must be right. Oh, well, look at his poverty. He must know what he's talking about because he's, he's in poverty. Instead of taking it to God and saying, God, I want, to be, I want to be unashamed of your good news, is what I'm seeing good news or is it false news? Romans 4 says this, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise is canceled. For the law produces wrath, that's what we talked about week two. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to Grace, that's unmerited favor, not what you earn. To guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all in God's sight. In other words, you can place your faith in Jesus with as much, just I don't know anything but him, and you're good. You don't have to know all the law. If you died in that moment, you'd be perfect for eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. And sometimes that makes us really mad because there are people that, on their deathbed who have lived lives of hell and awful and and rebellion on their deathbed, pray to receive Christ, and we're like, I can't believe in a God like that. You better be careful. Because if you say that, there's no hope for you either. That's what this verse says. Because if it's of the law, there's no hope for us. Now, do I know that guy's heart? Did he just repent because he was scared? Maybe. Jude says, I hope some get snatched from the fire. (laughs) Some are just going to be snatched from the fire right at the last moment. Just the way it goes. So why are you doing what you're doing? Because you really love God? Because you know him? Because you have faith? Because you want to share and you're unashamed of who he is and what he's done? Or is it, well, because I want to get something? And if that guy gets the same thing I get when I die, I'm not in I deserve more, because I've lived a good life. I've been a righteous man. I've done it. Man, when you start going down that road, just know you are on dangerous territory. You are on some false teaching. Fa- Be very careful. Are there rewards in heaven? Absolutely. God tells us there are rewards. But we don't worry about the rewards. We know we have them, so we just live the life he's called us to live. He goes on, he says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, to Abraham. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that don't exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he may become the father of many nations according to what has been spoken. So will your descendants be. Abraham wasn't looking for signs and wonders. Abraham was hoping against all hope. He looked around and didn't see much hope of him becoming an heir of the entire earth. Because he really didn't even have a place to live yet. The promised land hadn't, he never got to see like his people living fully in the promised land. He, He was constantly being battled for. Lot took the best land. I mean, you look at Abraham's life, he never got to see the promise. But he kept hoping in the hope that it was coming someday. And even if he never saw it, he believed it because he knew it's what God said and God would do it someday. That's the same message we have today. Luke 3 says this. Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. There's nothing more dead than a stone. Rocks, they're dead. Very, very little, if any, living organisms in a rock. It's as dead as dead can be. And God said, I can take a rock and make a person out of it. Because I did it originally. I took a rock, made it into dust, and I made Adam. So if you think you're so great because you got Abraham and look at all I've done, and look at my family history and look at all this, nope, you don't have faith because that's not where faith starts. Faith starts with understanding who God is, understanding I'm under wrath, understanding I need to know what's right and be right and then saying I'm going to place my faith in him and we are just dead stones if Christ doesn't resurrect us. 19 says, he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in faith. Wait, but he did weaken in faith because he you know, made a plan with Sarah for Hagar. Yeah, he had weak faith in a moment, but he also repented and obeyed God. And he goes on and he says, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. Did he doubt? Yep. Did he waver? Yes. Did he come, keep coming back to faith? Absolutely, Abraham did. 22, therefore it was credited to him for righteousness. There it is again, over and over again. You see that phrase. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, from dead stones. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Isn't it interesting, Jesus was put in a tomb and a giant stone was rolled over the tomb and said, it's dead in here. And the stone was rolled away, blown away, and he came out alive. He was delivered up for our sins, not his. He was raised up so that we could say, wow, if God will raise that guy from the dead, I can believe maybe someday he will not let my death be in vain, but will raise me again. And give me a different kind of body that can like pass through doors and stuff. That's what Jesus' body did. I don't know how I did that. Because he still could eat food, but then he could also like pass through doors and like appear in rooms. I want that kind of body. I don't know about you. I think that would be awesome. I don't know if that's what I'm going to get, but man, that would be cool, right? I mean, that's like superhero stuff. So he goes on and he says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, this is the pathway to peace. You will never have peace if it's I've got to be good enough. There's no peace in that. There's no peace in a relationship where two people are like, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. There is no peace. The only way to find peace is to say, I'm not good enough. You are, and God says, have my peace. Here's my Holy Spirit that brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're the things you can't get unless I give them to you because they're a gift, they're grace and you can chase for love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control your whole life you'll never find it never find it because the only way to find it is to admit you need to be dead he goes on he says we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of god i do not rejoice In the hope of America, I don't rejoice in the hope of what, I I rejoice in the hope that God said will happen someday regardless of how bad it gets here. First John says this, or second John 1 says this, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. There is no way you're ever going to experience love unless you live in the truth. You can't experience the love of God unless you're in the truth of God and these are his truths that he lays out clearly in Romans about our lives. So let me ask you, do you have this kind of relationship that leads to peace? Or do you have works-based relationships with little promise in this life? Do you stand in grace? Do you have peace? Do you rejoice in the truth and hope in the coming glory that's to come? Do you have truth And love, those match together. Or if you really look at your life, you're like, man, I I just, I'm more of the world than I am of this. If this seems foreign to you, you need to ask yourself why. And if it's because I don't know him, praise the Lord. You can know him right now. (laughs) You can, by faith, say, I I know you. And if you're struggling and you think, well, I've done this. And, you know, we we did this. And now this happened. You can be like Abraham and said, yep, I really blew it. It's going to cost people for all of the rest of human history but I can still trust you and I can still trust you'll forgive and I can still trust that you're gonna fulfill your promise and I can hope in you and hope in that. Wow! No other religion on the face of the planet like that. Not one. Christianity's the only one and it's because of what God did from the beginning to plan to do this, to show us who we really are, what our world's about and to show us that there's another world coming. There's something better to come. Luke 18, there's a story. I'm just going to read the story, and this is the story. It says, a a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Remember, what is good news? What's the definition of good is? He says, Jesus asked him, no one is good but one God. In other words, do you think I'm God? I have kept all these from my youth. He gives him a bunch of the commands, he said. He hadn't kept them, but... He said he did. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. By the way, Jesus didn't ask anybody else to do this that we see in scripture. Only this guy. He didn't ask Peter to sell all he had. He didn't ask anybody else to sell everything they had and come and follow him. He asked Peter to stop fishing to follow him. But Peter got to keep his house because they kept going back to it all the time. That's where they would meet, gather. Okay. Then he goes on. He says, after he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. In other words, what have I been living my life for? If I have to give up the one thing I think I should get and keep that's mine. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said how hard it is for those who have wealth. Wealth doesn't mean money. Wealth can mean a lot of different things. Wealth of family, wealth of heritage, wealth of whatever. To enter the kingdom of God. In other words, do you see that you have wealth or do you see that you're poor and needy? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this then asked, this asked, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Then Peter said, look, we've left what we've had to follow you. In other words, how are we going to be saved if that guy can't be saved? Because he he, he did all the law and he's wealthy. I mean, it looks like his life is going to be saved. And and that's really what I'm about. I'm about getting where he's at. Like, I want to be wealthy, I want to... Goes on and says, so he said to him, I assure you, there is no one who has left a house, wife, or brothers, parents, or children because of the kingdom of God. We leave things all the time for the wrong reasons. Very seldom do we leave things for the kingdom of God. So that we can proclaim the good news of God's grace. Because it's hard to leave something or leave someone unless you put God's grace on it. And most of the time when we leave, we leave because I'm demanding my rights to be happy and get what I want. And then he goes and he says, who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come? All the things you want, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can receive right now in a relationship with Christ regardless of the circumstances our world is in. You can receive all that right now, he says, and even more in the age to come because then you're going to get a body, you're going to get all the stuff that goes with the emotions you have in Christ. As we wrap up, Hebrews says this, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors won God's approval by it. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by God's command, signs and wonders. It's good news, so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible by faith. Abraham, and then it lists what he did and in verse 10, look at what it says. The reason Abraham had faith, for he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I'm looking forward to the day when God is in charge of everything, and I'm not. I'm looking forward to the day when it's all on Him. I'm looking forward to the day when that's what I'm looking. at. The reason Abraham was a man of faith was he wasn't looking to get in this life. He was trusting in the one to come. And look at what Paul says as he wraps up in Romans 5.3 says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How we handle afflictions, persecution reveals what we think we get for the deal we made with God. And when we look and we realize, you know, I should expect problems in this world. If I'm going to share the good news that isn't good, but the full good news of his character and his wrath, but, but, but his love and his grace, I should understand that I'm probably not going to be loved like by the world. They're not going to like a message that says you don't get what you want. You get what God wants. Well, I don't want what God wants. I want what I want. That's what we did in Genesis, and that's what I want now. And he says, no, have hope, hope in what God will do. And then look at this. He gives us our Holy Spirit, and then he says this in verse 6. For while we were still helpless, that's faith. At the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see yourself helpless? Do you see that God has an appointed moment that he wants to get on the ground and hands in, outstretched arms, be with you? And do you see that you're ungodly and, and he still says, I'll cover you. I'll love you. See, that's the message of this book in our God that is so radical and it's a message the world needs to hear. They don't wanna hear it. We don't want to hear, keep being afflicted, keep enduring, keep wearing a mask, keep doing, like, we don't, I just want this to be over. Yeah, I do too. And it will be someday when Christ comes back. And share the gospel quickly with someone. Let me ask you, have you trusted him? Have you surrendered to him? And if you have, are you in a place where you're struggling, maybe like Abraham, and you're trying to come up with your own deal with God and how you're going to fix things and make things work, and you need to repent. Like Jesus said to repent and just say, I'm done. I just, I just want what you want. And if you say that, he's not looking at you going, finally. He's looking at you with outstretched arms. Like, yes. My son's returned home. My daughter's returned home. And it doesn't matter how many times you do that. His arms keep stretching out. (laughs) That's his heart for us. If you want to know him, you just got to do that. Have faith like Abraham. Place your faith in your trust. He's shown us enough. We don't need another sign or wonder. We don't need proof. He's given us enough. Today's your moment to say yes. And if you know him, can I just tell you? Man, take a moment when I pray. And have some joy. Because that's what it says to do. Just take some moment and smile in your mask. Nobody can see you. Big smile in your face. And just smile and be like, man, how do I get this? How do I have this grace? This God, I don't deserve any of this. This is awesome. Take a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for Romans in this book. I thank you that wherever we see ourselves, whether we see ourselves as lost, whether we see ourselves as someone who who knows you but we've done some stupid things, or whether we see ourselves as people that are walking with you, there is hope in this message for all of us because of faith and grace that comes through that faith. Man, thank you. You are so patient with me and with us and with humanity. Thank you that you gave everything. Thank you that this has been your plan all along, that there's not like two different plans or multiple plans. There's one plan, which is faith and grace. Father, if there's anyone here who needs to know you this morning and just surrender finally, would they do that? Or if there's anyone that's been backslidden, would they just know they can come to you and your arms are open and when they want to repent and say, I just want to turn away from that, you're there to say, I'll help you. I'll give you the body of Christ. I'll give you other believers to help you fight that sin, to go through that. And Lord, for those of us who may be walking closely with you, man, let's just take a moment, whatever our prayer needs to be, and if it is to rejoice, just to to take a moment and smile and rejoice this morning in the midst of the afflictions and the mess around us. Let's pray and pause for a moment. Father, we come before you. Because Jesus told us to call you Abba, Daddy, Father, with all your authority, all your rights. You are our master, but you are also Yahweh who saves, who is our Messiah, our Savior. We, this morning, come before you with joy to know this message, and may we not be ashamed, and may we tell others of the joy we find.